good day and thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And today we are talking about a topic that sits in many people's homes. Some people are suffering in silence and we are talking about domestic violence, but not just from a romantic relationship vantage point. We're talking about it as it pertains to romantic relationships. We're talking about it from the kids vantage point and everything else that comes with that. And here to help us out is uh, clinical psychotherapist, Dr. Carlia East. How are you doing today, doc? I am doing well, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. Ready to get this topic going and to share some insight on how we can manage these things a little bit better. No doubt, no doubt. So tell me off top, how are you raising awareness about domestic violence? Well, domestic violence is something that is very dear to me because I am a survivor of domestic violence myself in previous relationships. And so I do understand how it is to find yourself in these dynamics and not necessarily see or understand how you got there. I understand the guilt and the blame, but then I also understand the um, ability to recognize that you are not at fault, the ability to recognize that there's still much more life ahead and you still can be free. So, you know, with October approaching us and uh, Domestic Violence Month being one of those main key features, Smile Psychology and Associates, my group, we're making sure that we're providing additional services and awareness. We're providing particular groups out there that will help support domestic violence, as well as women in general. Not that it only appears in women, but we know it happens in men too. But specifically for my organization, we're gearing towards women because we see those numbers spiking you know, quite intensely, especially in the past year or so. Um, with your personal connection and you circle back and you start conversing with people about what they're dealing with, mm -hmm. is there some PTSD involved there? Because, I mean, there, there must be some similar stories that people are sharing and it may take you back to a moment. There's always going to be residual energy left over from any type of trauma, right? I don't care what it is. I wouldn't necessarily say that there's PTSD, but just energy from what you've gone through. And I, I would call it awareness, Awareness of people that you come in contact with that may have those same red flags, being able to recognize what those flags are, and also being aware of your person and what some personal spaces that you maybe not want violated. I know for me, my personal experience was often um, geared with control by holding me by the back of my neck. And so for me, when I have conversations with my husband, even before we started dating, I, I let him know, listen, you know, you can like, you know, we can play fight and we can have fun, but that area for me is super sensitive and this is why. Now, have there been times that he's rubbed me on the back of my neck? Yes. Have I gone full commando? No, I haven't, you know, but that's also something that I'm aware so that he's aware so that we can have the healthiest relationship that we can have. So there's definitely always those residuals, but I think that people have to be aware that that's normal for them to have those and not see them as a handicap and an opportunity for growth and learning. Were you broken in ways that you took several months, several years to discover? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was broken. Um, there was this um, ominous feeling of responsibility that stayed with me for a long, long time, specifically the responsibility that I felt because I had disappointed people who trusted me to be the strong, brave, you know, woman, which I am all of those things. And that's the part, you know, you forget, like, I am still all of those things, but I'm also a human being, right? And what I can't control is someone else's actions. And so, yes, for years, I felt like I was you know, being a hypocrite about what I represented and that I was letting my, my people down or letting my family down. And I had to realize that that's exactly the part of the, of, of the abuse that lingers with us. You know, the physical parts 
are, are they fade at some point because the person is no longer there. You're no longer feeling it or seeing it. But that mental, emotional piece that stays in your head, the, the conversations or the, the, the arguments or the way that they've spoken to you or what's been said, that stays with you and your own self-thought and guilt stays with you. And so, yes, it took a few years and I went to therapy. You know, yes, the therapist goes to therapy. Heck yeah, because I'm a human being first. And I had to work through and understand that that wasn't my guilt to carry, you know? And so I think every person finds themselves in those different stages, which is why we have the stages of being a victim, a survivor, or a thriver. And so, you know, being a victim is living in that victimization every day, meaning you're not willing or ready yet to move forward because you still see yourself as a victim. And that takes time to get out of that position, especially if there's a pattern of repeat victimization, you know, by family members and, and other areas. Then there's being a survivor. Survivors are individuals that make it through. They have survived that task and they are living and moving forward. And that's great. But then there's a thriver, which is like the top level that every survivor wants to get through. Because when you're thriving, it means that that pain is not just something you're working through. You're using it to propel you. You're thriving past that pain. So, you know, it's really a mindset right? And a space of feeling comfort um, within yourself and around others, even in social environments. So those are the three levels that many victims of domestic violence go through. And yes, some of them can take, you know, months to years to work through, depending on the level of the abuse. How did you find help out of your situation? I think for me, um, having the therapeutic background, right, that I, that I had, um, I wasn't a full therapist yet. So I wasn't practicing every day. So it wasn't like I had this full circle, but I had books, you know, and I know that I'd read my story <laughs> a few times in those textbooks. And I think for me, it was just me seeing my story played out in front of me in classes. You know what I mean? Because my situation happened in college. So, you know, seeing that those dynamics play out in front of me helped me to understand. But oftentimes it just takes that friend, that bestie, you know, that brother to say, hey, what's up with this? You know, what's up with these bruises? Or, you know, I've been noticed you're anxious lately. Because what you'll notice um, is that others will notice the changes in your behaviors before we're really, right, aware of them. And so some of the common things that people will notice in you is anxiety. Your anxiety increases. There may be some depression or you're withdrawn from people you don't want to engage. And let me be very clear. It does not matter whether you are a child, adult, male, or female. These characteristics that I'm giving you are common across the board, okay, are common across the board. And so again, anxiety, depression, avoidance, um, low self-esteem, dishevelment is often something that takes place. So, you know, person used to take a little bit more pride in their clothing and now they don't, they, their behaviors are different. They don't want to participate in things like they used to. Long sleeves in the summertime, right? That's always a a telltale sign because DV does not, especially physical DV is not just, um, we, we tend to think about the burning bed and these, you know, black eyes. And, and that seems to be what we think about, but we have to realize that DV is about not just physical and not just the face. It's grabbing of the arms. It's being up in someone's face with your finger, literally like this. And I see this in a lot of high school campuses between high school teenagers um, as well as college campuses where there's not necessarily any punching or hitting there's a bamming on the locker 
you know, there's a finger in the face. There's a yelling and screaming at them and calling them stupid and dumb and making them feel bad for what they did or said. Um, and these are moments that especially our young men and women in high school and college are finally developing who they are. And so it, they are very impressionable at that particular time. Um, it can be calling you out of your name, trying to control your budget, trying to control how you pray, trying to you know control who you pray to or um, where you spend your money or where you spend your time, clocking your every move. Who's that on the phone? Let me speak to them, checking your phone bills. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And these are things that many of us are like, wait a minute, that happens in my household. That is an abusive behavior, <clears throat> bottom line. Domestic and, violence is not a just, just about the hit. And, and it's not Domestic always violence somebody... can be sexual. Right. It can be physical. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. And it can be financial. And it's not always someone straight up calling you stupid. Sometimes it's tacit, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's implied. You know the way someone frames something. Right. Sometimes and they say, it's not well, I, I didn't say that. I didn't call you out of your name. Right. You it's not coming they... through the front door. It's coming from around the corner. So it's, do you really think that was a good decision? Was that the best thing? Were you thinking when you did that? You get, you, and it's constantly saying that, saying, you know, your action, this is why we can't do this because of you. They didn't call you stupid, but now they got you thinking that everything that you're doing, every decision that you're making, you need to check on, check with them to make sure it's okay. Because clearly you're not capable of making the decision. Imagine that being your existence every single day over and over and over again. Eventually that becomes your belief system. It's a tell very toxic relationship. Tell me this, a toxic indeed. Tell me this. Um, I notice this often, but you find yourself wondering if you should really dip your toe into these waters. You hear people laugh and joke when it comes to uh, woman to man. Co-worker right. to co-worker. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to slap him upside his head. Let him say mm -hmm. that again. Right? So mm -hmm. we know that right. as a man, I would never say that to any person, man to man or man to woman. But man to woman, that, that might really land you in some hot water. Mm -hmm. But we laugh it off. That has to be some form of toxic behavior, right? I mean, a, a female coworker saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to slap him upside his head if he says this again. Right. Um, um, that type of behavior, it, it, it almost normalizes this bigger problem mm -hmm. to some degree. Mm -hmm. What it does is it creates a gray area where there shouldn't be one, right? That's really where the problem is because <clears throat> abuse is black and white. Either you did it <laughs> or you didn't. Um, but I think what happens is, unfortunately, in society as human beings, we use jokes and comedy as ways of getting through rough times and rough patches. That's just been the way that time, you know, since the end of time, we've handled things. But I think we do give females a passes. You know, we, we do give women a pass to be able to say certain things in an environment, in a culture that maybe a male definitely could not say, whether it was sexual in nature or aggressive in nature. And I think that that does teach this double standard, which still definitely exists when you look at how seriously it's taken when a man puts his hand on a woman and how judgmental it is on the man if he reports that a woman put her hands on him. But the key to DV, domestic violence, is, a, a, is power. It's not about height or weight 
or size or, 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 or gender or any of those things. It's about, I want to feel powerful over you. And when you want to feel power, powerful over someone, it doesn't always take aggression and physical, it's mental. And if you can get into that person's head and make them feel like they're less than and you're greater than, then there's your domestic violence right there. And so there is this, this rhetoric that continues to go on in, in workplaces and in, in, in our environments and schools where there is this running kind of joke that people pertain to until it's not funny, right? Until someone's in the room that has been offended by that. But mm -hmm. I think that's why these conversations are so important so that we can under, we can educate people that, you know what? Yes, we use humor to work through things, but there are certain topics that humor is just not appropriate, right? There are certain topics that um, because we laugh at it, we take away the responsibility of the individual. Because we, because we joke about it, we allow a gray area for this individual not to feel like he has a case because I'm a girl. How, you know, I can't abuse him. And I think that we allow it to be more commonplace than what it truly is. And I think that really speaks to what my next question was going to be. You know, we we discuss domestic violence and uh, we we often look at it from the vantage point of uh, a heterosexual relationship mm -hmm. and abusing woman, but it can happen the other way around. Um, right. And, and it can be in, I mean, in our LGBT communities, it can be a woman abusing a woman or a man abusing a man. I mean, again, Domestic violence does not care what your gender is, what your race is, what your, how much money you make, how much money you don't make. It is just as rapid in six-figure homes and, you know, half a million dollar salary homes as it is in your trailer parks and your projects. So, you know, we need to be clear about that. It's, um, it's covered up better. You know, finances help you to evade truth sometimes. And so this is also the same case where we're dealing with domestic violence. But, you know, we, again, when you have someone that is broken and they are coming from a broken and bruised place, which most individuals who abuse have been offended upon about 75% in some way, shape, form, or fashion, whether it's verbal, physical, or sexual, and it manifests itself in the way that they act towards others. Um, so we know that there's this long historical context that goes along with domestic violence. Um, and we also know that the inability or the fear rather for us as women or men to speak up and be taken seriously continues to be our largest catalyst. Right, because people don't want to believe that. Right, even family members don't want to believe that, you know, uncle such and such did that to auntie so-and-so or, you know, she did that to him. I mean, no one wants to have that conversation because it's, it, it, it boggles the mind that someone that you know you, that loves you would hurt you. You know, um, but these are the conversations that we have to have because it's not stopping, it's actually increasing because the more that we see people are stressed and agitated and dealing with society's, you know, nonsense, um, that trickles into the heart, into the mind, into the home, and unfortunately into the behaviors. And in previous stories I've covered over this topic, um, the the professionals involved in trying to help people out of those dark spaces have said that men are very reluctant to come forward because there's there's an added sense of embarrassment, uh, especially providing that police report to an officer who may happen to be a man as well. Um, right. and, and so many of these situations, 
they get exacerbated. And sometimes they end even worse than that first episode mm -hmm. because there was no intervention. Right, right. And I think that that's, you know, that's that percentage that's just so scary about leaving anything where someone wants to control you, right? Any, any, any escape that anyone makes from a situation where it's reluctant, there's going to be danger involved in that, um, which is why we invite individuals to contact your local, local agencies. Like in Tampa Bay, we have two such as CASA and, um, and Hope for Families. These particular programs serve women, men, and children, which is why I selected them specifically um, for those who need to leave the relationship, um, i.e. don't have a place to go. So there mm -hmm. isn't a, a family member's house. So there's shelters that these places provide. There's, um, you know, services of, of counseling and therapy, safe places, you know, they help you find employment. So these are great spaces, but I will tell you this, and this, and I don't want to shame anybody. This is why I'm going to mention it. Just because an individual who's a victim makes the choice not to report it does not mean that he or she still can't heal from their trauma. So I just want to be very clear to that. We want you point. to report these cases because we don't want people to just be able to run around and do and treat others the way they want to. But I also understand that fear. And I also understand um, that very self-disclosing, you know what I mean, part of filing, like you said, that police report and going to court and dealing with all of that. And not every person has the ability to do that. And I don't want to make anyone feel that you are shamed because you don't. My goal here is to let you know you can still get the help that you need to heal through that. And you don't have to carry that guilt because you chose not to press charges or go to court. We don't know the dynamics of these relationships. We don't know the dynamics at play. And so I just wanted to make, you know, to make that clear too. That that is that is very sage advice there. You know, people definitely need to know that, need to hear that as well. What um what happens to one's mind where, you know, an individual feels they have to stay um and and they are dependent on on someone, not just because they're financially connected to the person, right. they could have their own income, their own account, but they still right. feel some sort of uh, tether mentally. What, yes. what happens there? What those, is that about? Those ties are really built on the loyalty that that person has for that relationship or for that individual, especially if they've maybe gone through things, if there's been promises that they've made to each other, you know, your word is bond. And so oftentimes, you know, it is when it's not finances, it's that's just that general feeling of loyalty. Are, are there kids? Am I breaking up the family? Because that's what you feel. Am I destroying the family? Because your perpetrator has taught you that you're doing that, has taught you if you leave, you're destroying the family. No one else is going to love you. So there's self-esteem issues that are associated as well. No one's going to want to be with you. I was the only one that understood your quirks or understood that. You know, who's going to want to put up with you? You're a single dad with five kids. Who wants that? You know, again, they play this role. And so there's so many emotional. That's why I said that mental piece of it is so powerful. And this is why therapy is so important because it can help you to see the patterns of um, grooming behaviors that have taken place while you were in that 
dynamic or in that relationship, the worst they said to you over and over and over again, how they isolated you from others. So now you feel like you can't reach out. And the truth is that family member that's on the other side is just waiting for you to make a phone call. And so it's really trying to get them out of that mindset because that is more imprisoning sometimes than even the four walls that they're in. Two final questions for you here, because I, I know you've got to run. Two final questions. How are you doing? And where can folks, again, again, find those resources? Well, I'm doing great. And, you know, I find that by me being 100 about my situation and sharing my story when appropriate, you know, with those, that that helps me to always feel better because I know I'm giving someone else an opportunity to see that domestic violence doesn't look like the stereotypical idea. Unfortunately, the poor woman who doesn't have her own, you know, who's dependent and has five kids, you know, and again, that is the picture that individuals think of. So they don't see themselves as being victims of DV. And I think we have to change that mold. So I'm a pretty good representation of someone that is a victim of domestic violence. But guess what? I found love again. That was my choice. And I am happy, you know, in a, in a happy marriage. And I have a wonderful kid. And so life continues. Is that still a part of my life? Absolutely. But I use it to propel me, right? Not to, 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 to disrepresent me or to bring me down. And for services like this, there's several. So of course there's CASA. I have the phone number here. CASA has a 24 hour hotline. So I, I really advise people to go there at 727-895-4912. Um, for individuals that are more in the Sarasota, Bradenton area, um, Hope Family Center is 941-755-6805. Or if you're going through, um, if you're going through DV and you're, you're you're past some of the major traumas, but there's some stuff you just want to work through emotionally, then give me a call. You know, smile psychologist and associate 727-569-6305. Awesome, awesome stuff, and and thank you for sharing that personal story. And I thank you all out there for listening to this. And uh, you know, the important part is taking care of yourself. So do that. Doctor East is giving you some tools. Now you got to put it to work. Until next That's time, right. y'all have a good one.